we will be reading Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11 through 22. Here we go. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision, by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility." And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for the God by the Spirit. Let me pray for us. God, we just pray that these words that we have read together um, would just sink into our hearts, that we would learn from what we hear today, that we'd learn from your word and what it says to us today, and God, that we would be faithful and that we would be changed by it. And God, that we would, we would share this truth with others. God, be with us this morning, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. It, everything is kind of new right now for us, so I don't know if, if you like, I appreciate the specialness of being able to read the passage that we are going to walk through together today, um, together. I think that there's, there's something to that. We won't get to always do that. Uh, as Trent and I have gone through and looked through our hymnal, it's not, it's not always going to be possible because there are only certain passages. But for right now, at the beginning of Ephesians, Whoever put this book together, the editor said, we want that first chunk of Ephesians in here. And so we want to, we want to use that while we can and, and be able to just read God's word together. But this is, this is, you know, your voice is also the one carrying the truths of what God has said to us. So that's exciting. Uh, I hope that's encouraging to you. Um, I guess this is also my warning that that's not always how it's going to work out at least not for the passage that we're looking at this morning. This morning, uh, we are going to continue our way through Ephesians, the book of Ephesians. Paul is writing to the believers in the, um, about God's plan for all time. We talked about um, that in Ephesians, that's 
most clearly articulated in in chapter 1, verse 10, where God's plan is to unite all things in him, all things in Jesus. So we're going to come back to that. Today, uh, this is sort of that uniting all things is the the sermon series title that I came up with. I don't know if I love that or not, but that's where we are. Um, But God, this, this whole section is about how God builds his house. Last week, I was able to listen to Trent's sermon on our podcast station. I don't know if you knew that we had podcasts. Isn't that exciting? Um, I, I don't know, only because it's simple and available um, and free. Those are the reasons we have one. And so if you are not able to be here or you know somebody else that might be interested, um, just go to our website. And like I said, I was able to make use of that this week. And it was really helpful since I wasn't able to be with us, uh, be, be together with you last week. Uh, Trent's sermon was really encouraging to me. I mean, that section of Ephesians is so rich. Uh, when we look at the truths of Ephesians 2, verse 1 through 10, we end up just amazed at what God has done, is doing in our lives, how he has saved us and changed us. And today we're going to change our focus a little bit from what God is doing in us uh, to what he has already uh, what is what God is doing instead of what God is doing in us. That's what I'm wanting to say. We're going to change from that focus on that to what God is doing with us, how he's using us. And so that's, that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. But kids, I have a few questions for you, at least one important question. You ready? Yes? Okay. Do you like your home? How important is your home? Tell me. Tell me what you think. How important is your home? What? Very important. Very important. Why is your home important to you? Do you care about your home? What do you like about your home? Does your home have your things in it? Your stuff is in your home? Also, uh, it's kind of your space, like at least your room or maybe your bed or something. It can maybe be your space or it's shared space. But to some degree, you have some areas that you kind of have some control in. Do you, do you ever go on a long trip? What does it feel like to come back to your home after a long trip? Yeah, tell me how you feel. Nice? Why? It's a little bit complicated, isn't it? Home has all sorts of things for us. This concept of where we live has all sorts of, of feelings and emotions. And some of that, like I said, is where our stuff is. Some of it's where our control is. Some of it's where our family is. We know our family is in our home and we can be together with our family in our space. Um, and, and so we, we have sayings like home is where the heart is. Home is where we are comfortable. Home is family. Now, what do you think, here's the next question that follows that up, what do you think God thinks of his home? If we like our home, do you think God likes his home? Does he just want to leave all the time? I mean, it doesn't really work like that with God, but, but I want you to take your feelings and kind of think about that with God. We've been talking about us being in Jesus, or to say it differently, we've been talking about how we are different because of Jesus. But today we're going to be talking about God, and in our, in our passage today, we're going to talk about God building a home for himself. In fact, we'll see that he's making a home out of us, which is kind of a strange thing to think about. 
Paul is talking about Christians like they're bricks in a huge house that God is building for himself to live in. Isn't that kind of a strange picture? Kind of a strange thing, but that's what Paul is talking about. I'm going to explain more as we go along, so pay attention, okay? Today I want to start, actually, though, uh, with this metaphor, with this thing that Paul's talking about. I want to look at, make sure that doesn't get blocked up there. I I want to look at the end of our passage first. We're going to start at the end of our passage. Paul uses this metaphor, and it guides a lot of what's talked about in our passage, and so we're going to do it backwards, which you'll find... I think backwards anyway, so this is just sort of me. Before we do that, we need to have one quick definition. So I guess there's an extra question, kids. What's an alien? Do you know what an alien is? Yeah, what's an alien? Okay, person who is strange to a place. So way to get to the answer before we got to the confusion. So, yeah, no, that's exactly right. An alien means someone that's not from around here, right? Exactly what you said, strange to a place. In modern culture, we immediately think of aliens as beings from another planet. Now, maybe you know that, maybe you don't, I don't know. But um, in, we, we talk about aliens being some kind of creature or thing or person from another planet. Superman is an alien, lots of things. Um, it, it shows up all over the place, whether it's in movies or now in Department of Defense releases and NASA releases they're talking about extraterrestrial stuff right now it's weird it's weird but uh, you'll see the word alien and that's what it's meaning is things from far away like beings from other planets but alien isn't a new word it's exactly what uh, what we heard just a second ago alien is it means someone who's from somewhere else but happens to be here they, they're people who are not home. And here's some truths about that. They don't have family or friends or people, community around them. They are kind of out on their own. They don't have anyone to help them, but they live here. And so that's one of the things we need to do. So we don't get tripped up in thinking that the Bible is talking about people from other planets. It's not. So now we're ready. We can read verse 19. Let's read uh, just verse 19. It says this. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. The beginning of verse 19 is really a summary of verse 11 through 18, which we jumped over. We're going to go back to. Don't worry. Uh, We'll deal with these ideas in a moment. but, But look at the end of verse 19. This is where Paul kind of turns our thoughts to something a little bit new. Paul says that the Ephesians whom he's writing to are no longer disconnected like strangers or aliens, they're now citizens, which is about the exact opposite of it. These are people who are in the right place. They have rights. They have authority. They have family. They have community all around them. They are citizens of that place. And he says to these Gentiles or to these people, they are citizens uh, with saints. So they're not just citizens of an area. They're also with saints. Those are holy people. So if they're citizens with holy people, then they are also holy people. That's what he's saying. And not only that, they're also members of the household of God. They're part of God's family. Like the Ephesian believers, uh, these descriptions also apply to us. And so here is our truth for the day. It gets us going. Believers are... Yeah, the first day we had a wireless mic. I've always been tied, and there's big silence and weirdness. But believers are now. I forgot what I'm supposed to be writing. 
are part of God's household. Believers are a part of God's household. That's an exciting, amazing truth. And if we're followers of Jesus who are changed by God in our commitment to him, as Paul's talking about here, we are, we are part of God's family too. And that's exciting. We're part of his household. Um, we are someone with rights and citizens. Uh, in, we have rights, like citizens, in that household. We are someone with holiness. We are saints in that household. And we are someone who's in the family. We're household members. We are we're part of it. That's an exciting thing. And it's pretty shocking. But you need to know something else. This word here, household, actually can mean a physical building. We have the same thing in English. We can do the same thing in English. If you would ask me about my house, I could tell you that my house consists of five individuals, myself, um, Kimbra, Kimberlyn, Emma, and Nathaniel. But it also I could be true if you asked me about to tell you about my house, I could tell you, well, it's made of windows and doors and concrete and shingles and nails and things like that. I could do that. Both those things are valid in English. Same thing in Greek. This word can mean those two things. This is the pivot that Paul makes that we need to kind of understand. Uh, based on this word. Paul's saying that God's household is made up of his family, sure, but God is also constructing a house with his people. And that leads us to the next couple verses. Um, So believers are part of God's household, but also believers are part of God's house. And I actually mean the building, his house. And so that's what Paul's talking about here. We're going to pick up in verse 20, if you still have that in front of you. Verse 20. So we're parts of the house of God, verse 20, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Notice the building concepts are all over this. It's like, it's like this. God is the master builder. Okay. He's building a house on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. They form the basis of all that comes after them. Some scholars suggest that the church, put that marker down, is built on the mystery of the apostle, or on the ministry, sorry, ministry of the apostles and prophets. That that the things they did are what formed who we become. Their, Their work began the gatherings and the structures that became the church today. And that's that's true. Other scholars suggest that it's the message of the apostles and the prophets, the message about who God is, and especially about Jesus, that's the foundation. And in this case, uh, it's not them, but their confession that's the foundation. So it's either what they did or what they said and taught that are the foundation. And honestly, I couldn't really decide. I couldn't go, I went back and forth, I couldn't decide, and and I'll leave it to you. But in the end, the message uh, and the effort of early believers have shaped who we are. They've shaped how we gather right now, but notice the key piece at the end of verse 20. No matter what side you come down on in this detail, our message and our efforts must be informed by and focused on Jesus. Jesus is the focus and the centerpiece of the building that God's creating. He has to be. In the metaphor uh, that Paul shares with us, in this metaphor of the church, the cornerstone is Jesus. And we don't use cornerstones as much anymore. We don't think quite that way. We do measurements, but then we pour concrete. And so uh, we, don't, we don't use cornerstones quite like that, um, but they're important. If you are building with blocks, 
You must get that first block perfect. You have to set it perfectly this direction and this direction. And you, you make it perfect. You spend a lot of time on the first block. That's the cornerstone block of the foundation. The rest of the blocks then are organized and lined up in line with that block. That block is the, the piece. And they all begin to be built up, but they all reference back to that cornerstone block. Just like the way block building focuses on a cornerstone the church is um, modeled off of and affected by our cornerstone, Jesus. We should be. We must be. If we're not, we have lots of questions that need to be asked. He's the most important piece of the metaphorical house that, that Paul's talking about. He's the thing that our entire lives should be molded around, molded off of, and really focused on. When it's not, we're going to struggle. Social causes and things like that that sometimes churches and other people get involved in are not bad, but if the social cause or meeting uh, some kind of need becomes our focus, then we're not doing it right. Our ministry, our service must flow out of our focus on Jesus, not come alongside of or ever become more important than that. We want to focus on Jesus. I think that's what this passage tells us. Then, also as a follower of Jesus, we must be grateful for those who have come. I mean, there's, we're supposed to honor those uh, apostles and prophets, the things, those who came before us, who were faithful. That's an amazing thing for us to see faithful people throughout time who've walked with God. That should encourage us that we're not just figuring this out. We have others who've gone before us. And that's a good thing. And even today, our leaders must be focused on Jesus. Um, in all that we do, as they, as they are, we will have support. We will, have, um, we, we will begin to build a truly godly community. If they're not, we'll get caught up in all sorts of other things. Look closely at the end of verse 19. You'll see that home or house that was mentioned there in verse 19 actually becomes, uh, as we read a little further, the house of God. In fact, the Greek word could mean household, a physical house, or even a temple, a temple to a God, could the same word. Paul's using this range of meaning to make a point. We are part of God's family. We're part of God's building materials and God's construction project, though, is much bigger and larger than we could ever imagine or that we would ever be able to pay for or that we would ever even attempt. Believers are a part of God's household. Believers are a part of God's house. But believers are also a part of God's temple. house of God. You and I are being built into a holy temple that God wants and that he is doing all of the construction just like he wants it to be done. With the bricks that he chooses in the way and the timing that he chooses. It's his plan. And God's construction project is larger than we, we could ever fathom. He's the master builder. So God's making a temple to dwell in the house of God and that house is us. It's a big thing. God hears those who call on him. We read in the Old Testament in the early chapters. He might even dwell alongside of in the midst of his people in the times of the tabernacle and then the temple. But now God is dwelling in his people. A huge, powerful God, if we think of that, that, that's beyond us. Well, that makes sense. A lot of cultures, a lot of people have thought about God like that. 
That same God who intimately loves us, and even though we don't deserve it, now that begins to be unusual. That's almost unthinkable, that God, that, God, that powerful God would, would look to us, but that, that God's plan is to be intimately with us for all of eternity, shocking. It's unlike any other concept of any other God found in the world, in all of human history. But, and this leads us further into our passage today, if thinking about the grandness of God's building and the fact that you're included in his design causes you to stand in awe of his greatness and his love for you, then you're right where Paul wants you to be. Then he asks you to stop, though. Stop, not stop looking up, not stop looking at God. I don't want to misstate what I, want, what I mean. We want to focus on God. Jesus is important and God is important. That's where our focus is. But while we're doing that, let's do it that way. While we're doing that, look around too. You are not alone. There are many bricks in God's plan. He's using all of us to build his temple. Now, I tried really, really hard to not reference Legos. I even told Trent about it, and then I failed. And the reason is simply my incompetence. I am very incompetent in masonry. I, I, I'm no mason. I don't know how to put a wall together. Um, my skills stopped at Lego, actually. Building with wood or pl- uh, drywall, plumbing, electrical, I can handle most of those okay. But I never graduated to actual bricks. Stuck with the plastic. So we have Lego bricks to talk about today. As I was saying, there are many types of bricks that God is using. We, there are many bricks that are available. Think about the tubs of Legos that you've seen somewhere in your life, right? Or the box when you pour it out, all the different shapes and things that you have. Maybe the Legos that you've stepped on. Think of the variations of Legos that you've maybe stepped on on your floor. There are, there are lots of types and shapes of bricks. But for standard Legos, there are two dimensions that matter the most. They must align in these two ways to be able to build anything with them. They must vertically align where they snap together, but they also must horizontally align with other Legos. They they cannot just be wherever. Their square shape requires them to be a specific distance apart or to touch in a certain way. Paul's built his metaphor by addressing a huge issue for the Ephesian church. In Ephesus, there were some Jewish believers And there were some, uh, proportionally more, individuals who are not Jewish believers. Those would be Gentiles in our passage. That's what they call them. So the two groups, the Jews and the Gentiles, uh, were there in the church. And and this was hard for them. This is is how um, the Jewish concept of everything was you're either a Jew or you're not. You're either a Jew or you're Gentile. There's There's no other way to think about it. God's people are not God's people. For the Ephesians, this is important. Jews and Gentiles were, were usually not together. They didn't hang out together. They didn't particularly like one another in the first century. As Jews and Gentiles began to put their faith and trust in Jesus, though, this, this background caused some concerns. So, Paul's addressing this concern, but you and I have, have much we can learn from here. Probably, we are also all likely in the Gentile category, which directly ties us into this. If not, if you have some Jewish background to you, um, great that this is speaking to uh, Jews as well. So, mostly, my fellow Gentiles, or unless you're not, uh, Paul tells us to what? Let's look at verse 11, back to verse 11. 
Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. If you remember the Lego bricks, we were talking about vertical alignment here, and and that's our second point today. God's people are aligned vertically. God's people align vertically. You can't simply put two blocks of Legos together in just any way you want. You have, you have options, but you're restricted by their vertical alignment. They, this must, they must line up in order to create more than just a pile of bricks. I think this will make sense in a moment, but let me walk a little bit further into the text. Paul first references the most obvious physical mark of difference between the Jewish and the Gentile men in the community, circumcision. This physical mark made by man was, to, was a permanent outward display of an inward commitment to God. But it, it began to be used not to point to God, but to instead point to one's superiority and acceptance over others. Jewish men and women began to focus less on their relationship to God and more on their separation from other men and women. This prejudice, in fact, this racial and cultural prejudice was prevalent and was brought into the early church. But Paul uses the truthfulness of the separation to show the amazing power of God's plan. Look at what Paul says the Gentiles are to do. The actions, the action words are important. In fact, this is the only command, imperative type verb if you care about that, but this is the only command throughout the entire first half of this letter. The only reason that you see even this, the same verb in verse 12 and verse 11 is that in English, we, we like to have things a little bit more broken up. And so they had to repeat it. But what's the one thing we're called to do? Remember. What are they to remember? What are we to remember? Where we came from. In verse 12, Paul tells the Ephesian believers to remember five things. We're going to go through them quickly. These things are equally true of you and me. Paul tells them to remember that they were separated from Christ. Jews uh, trusted that in the coming Messiah, the Christ. They trusted in the promise that God would deliver them and expected God to save the Jewish people from the wickedness of the Gentiles. If you were a Gentile, the coming of Christ meant that you would know God's wrath. That was it. So the Gentiles were separated from, the, uh, from Christ. Two, they were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. That sounds very political, and it kind of is. The Jews were their own racial, cultural, and political state. If, as the Jews expected, God cared for them specifically, Gentiles were completely outside of the direct interest and care of God. Three, they were strangers to the covenant of God's promise. The Jews are also people who counted on the covenants of God, and God covenanted with his people in several ways we see over and over even when God's people were faithless God remained faithful this is the God that we know he is amazing even when we aren't but they had no connection to that and Gentiles um, the final two they had no hope and they were without God 
Jews knew God, or at least had a means of knowing God. They had the scriptures and the writings. They had historical stories and promises of God that they could look to. They could hold to hope when things were hard because they knew about God and his commitments with his people. Without God, there's no hope. That's where the Gentile believers began. And you and I are no different. But then turn to verse 13. Verse 13 is kind of a key. It says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Paul says you were separated from God and his people. You didn't have access to God, his blessings, nor his truth. But now, just like the but God of verse uh, chapter 2, verse 4, but now... Those who are far off, who are separated, who are unknown, who are unwelcome, are brought near. The words far off and near uh, reference Old Testament concepts. The Gentiles um, in Isaiah and, and in some other Old Testament books, they talk about the Gentiles being far off, God's people being near. And how God would bring those who are far off near. And so um, Paul is declaring that in Jesus, everyone is near. If we're in Jesus, we're all near. In both verse 21 and 22, we see more of this in Jesus language. Remember, the purpose of God that we discussed in chapter 1, verse 10, was that God's plan is to unite all things, what? In Christ, in Jesus. Our uniting begins in our unity to God. Or you could say our vertical alignment, our vertical alignment um, with God himself is the key to all of it. But it leads us to more. And that's why we, uh, so, so what we learn about our vertical alignment from a standard Lego brick is this is important. Our connection to God is important. A Lego brick has connectors for vertical alignment. Um, that's the, the pattern, the round thing, the patented round connection and the open bottom on a Lego. If it isn't there, standard brick is not very effective. Or if you buy the knockoff ones out of somewhere else, Malaysia, China, something. They don't collect the same. They don't work quite the same sometimes. Occasionally you find a good one. Must conform to the design for us to be able to build with it. Vertical alignment matters. It's like our relationship here that Paul is talking about. We have to have our vertical relationship adjusted, corrected, maybe established to begin with for us to be able to, to be truly in him. That's what Jesus came to do, to change us in our relationship to God. But like the Lego brick, it's not just the vertical dimension that matters. In building, the horizontal dimension matters too. Our horizontal relationships matter in God's building. That's our next point. Here. We're the brick. Let's turn to verse 14. God's people not only align vertically, they align horizontally. Verse 14, he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. He might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and he preached peace to you who are far off and peace to you who are near, for through him we both have access In one spirit to the Father. The obvious message here is one of peace and an end to hostility. But unlike before, this time we're not talking about peace with God, but peace with fellow followers of Jesus. 
Notice Paul shifted from using the words you in verse 11 through 13, and now he's using us and we in verse 14 and in verse 18. Paul himself is included in this shift. He's part of this change. For Jews and Gentiles, this is a huge shock. Two groups who were separated are brought together to become a new group. These Hostile groups join together because of Jesus. Jesus is this peace. So how does Jesus bring peace? Verse 14 suggests it's through his flesh. Jesus' body, the sacrifice of his life, was, broken, um, was what broke down the dividing wall of hostility, the separation between the groups, thus abolishing the law of commandment expressed in ordinances. The New English translation translators notes say this thing. They say, this is a difficult text to translate because it's not easy to find an English term which communicates well the essence of the author's meaning, especially since there's legal terminology involved here. Many translators use the term abolish, and you'll see that in some translations, uh, but this term implies complete destruction, which is not the author's meaning here. Verb can mean to cause something to lose power or effectiveness, and this meaning fits quite naturally here with the author's legal mindset. A proper English term which communicates this well is nullify. Since the word carries the denotation of making something legally null and void but not destroying it. So what does all that mean? What does all that mean? The idea of law here focuses on the Mosaic law, the Old Testament laws that were given to the Jews. Some of them kept uh, some of these laws kept Jews from Gentiles at times. They were uh, more than anybody could ever keep. The very inability of the Jews and of all of humanity to keep the Mosaic law resulted in a huge need for the temple sacrifices and temple activities because of our sinful nature. Sacrifice was necessary in response to, um, to our need for God. However, the sacrificial need stops with the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus himself. His body, delivered for us, frees us from the need for sacrifice. He is our sacrifice, and we didn't do anything for that. See the carryover from last week or the the chapter before. I want to make a small comment about this, though, before we move on. These verses declare the Old Testament law is not spiritually binding on us, but it's still very helpful to us. It's important It is recorded and given to us to show us the care of God for his people. We need to remember that the Jews, to to the Jews, the law was not originally seen as overbearing and all these rules and hard. It was a great blessing because the nations around them had to guess what their gods wanted. And yet God came, declared himself to them and said, here is what you need to do. They weren't going to be like other nations, guessing. They were just going to be able to serve and follow him it was so different so the power of the law which the jews knew but failed to follow and the gentiles didn't even know is actually fulfilled and satisfied in jesus most study bibles point to the jewish temple um, in the jewish temple they allowed gentiles into the outer part of the temple so you could not be a jew and still come into the temple but the outer courts in fact it was called the court of the gentiles However, there, were four, um, there was a four and a half foot high barrier surrounding the inner courts and it served as a dividing wall. Josephus was a, um, a, a Jewish, I guess, scholar. Uh, he forms us, informs us that 13 stone slabs, of which we have found two, 
uh, still in existence, say that no foreigner is to enter within the forecourt and the balustrade along around the sanctuary. Whoever is caught will have himself to blame for a subsequent death. Subsequent, that's what I meant to say, death. So they will die if they cross that barrier. It's possible that Paul had this idea in mind, but he's declaring that any barrier is broken down because Jesus has drawn Jews from Judaism and Gentiles from paganism, changed them and created a whole new people who is neither Jew nor Gentile, but is instead a people created in Jesus. The practices and the ordinances of the Jews in the sacrificial system, which only Jews could perform and from which Gentiles were hindered because of the physical barriers in the temple, were completely satisfied. It was a shock to Gentiles to know that they weren't just becoming Jews. It was a shock for Jews to know that they needed more than just to be good Jews. They needed to be in Jesus. It's the Lego bricks lining up. We see in Ephesians that God has a plan to unite all things in Jesus. And as we are made right in Jesus, we are also aligned, not just to him, but with his people in the church. This is amazingly, uh, then, then amazingly God uses us to begin his master building project. We're built up together into this glorious temple that he's making. We become in ourselves the house of God told you that each week we're going to stop and kind of just be amazed, or at least I am. Um, I hope you're amazed with me at what God has done or is doing. It's amazing what he is doing, because this doesn't just include right now. We prayed for the kingdom, uh, the, church, or the, the community, and the church earlier. But God has been doing this for centuries and beyond, millennia. God is working and God is building a temple for himself, a people for himself to live in. We can just say, wow. We can ask God, why do you love me? How can you love me like this? Why would you do this for me? Why am I even included in your family? The Gentiles were saying, God, weren't the Jews your people? Like, why are we included? Isn't that amazing? And the Jews were saying, God, you've done so much more than we could ever do. We've, we know our weakness because they could see their failure to follow the laws, follow the system. They could see how God completed all of that. Why, God, why do you give me a family to live this life with as well? Maybe, you, maybe that's not true for you. Maybe you've never heard anything like this. Maybe you've never really acknowledged how bad you are or the struggles you have to be faithful to God at all. Maybe you've never set Jesus in charge of your life. Maybe it's like you know about Jesus, but you've never, you've never let him be in charge. If not, there's a dividing wall between you and God. You can't do anything about it, but if you trust in him, he's already paid the price required to draw you from afar and bring you near. Your vertical relationship to God can be made right as you trust in him. All you have to do is call on him, trust in what he's done for you now, and let today be that day that you call on his name. Let him be your God. After service, um, I say that to him now, speak that to him now, but then after service, talk to us. We'd love to talk to you about what Jesus has done, what he's doing in your life. 
And if you truly trust him and his sacrifice on the cross, then for the rest of your life, you get to join with others like us who are trying to explore how the vertical relationship affects the horizontal relationships. How we're all together as his people. Maybe you're a follower of Jesus. Then as a fellow brick in God's majestic, I hate saying Lego temple, I'm not going to say that, but as majestic temple, let me ask you to check your shape. How is your vertical alignment with God? Are you in awe of what he has done for you and how he's changing you? Are you growing in your understanding of Jesus? What could you do to grow more? Is your relationship such that you can easily see, uh, that others can easily see Jesus' influence in your life? Can others tell? Do they know that he, how much he matters to you? Are you excited? So excited that you don't have a choice. You, you just tell people about him. Is it normal for you to talk about God, what he's doing in your day-to-day life? If it's not, how do we change that? How's your vertical alignment? But also, how's your horizontal alignment with God's family? I've met people who will say that they're good with God. They, they don't go to church. They can't go to church because those hypocritical, stubborn, selfish, critical people that are there. They claim to worship better in a deer stand. This is getting close to deer season, so people are talking about that a lot more often. I'm going to go and worship God in the deer stand. I don't know. I just hear that more. It's the season. But, uh, or maybe on the lake or in their fishing boat or on a hike through nature. And I admit it, God's people are a mess. We are all messes. That's actually the point. We need God. We need Jesus. God has given us each other for each other to build each other up. I didn't even mention it in, in the sermon, but there, there is a concept in here when you see the temple or, or that God is building, actually building itself. Temples don't build, but you see God using the temple to build itself. We are building one another. This passage seems to suggest that we are not to be alone. If we are truly connected with God, we are connecting with his, we should be connecting with his people. Later, uh, we'll see Paul call the unified church Jesus' bride. This is sort of a commercial, I guess, for the future. The one he loves immensely. He's purifying them. He's given himself to them collectively. So what do we do with somebody who's a loner Christian? Are they part of the bride but not with the bride? Is it like a thumb sitting somewhere? I don't know. That doesn't work, right? It doesn't work at all. But it's, it doesn't fit our building metaphor either. If God builds a single brick that's not part of the building, why? A single brick isn't any good on its own. You can trip over it. You can hold a door open with it. But all in all, it's not very impressive. God isn't making just bricks. He's building a whole temple in the church. So what do we do? Well, we love God's people. We are all susceptible to prejudice. We all need one another to point out where maybe we are not truly representing God's view of other people. Next, are there people that you don't think could ever be saved? Those people you can't stand. God, through this passage, suggests differently. Don't count anybody out. We should share with everyone the truth of Jesus because we don't know which brick he's going to develop next. Maybe that person needs to know God and they will be changed by God and then they'll begin to get things right and connect with God's people and create something completely new that God is doing. We should share. Let God choose the bricks to refine. 
And then secondly, besides loving God's people, we should join together. I don't mean go to church, though that's good. I, don't, I mean, are we committed to God's people? And are they committed to you? That's what membership in a church is all about. That's what joining together is all about. Think about it like this. Think about those Lego bricks that we mentioned before. If they're genuine and not damaged, I don't know, I've seen melted ones. I don't know how you melt Lego bricks, but I think my brother did that. If they're genuine and not damaged, then they, they should all be compatible. They can, they can be a strong wall, but there's something that needs to happen for Legos to be strong. And what is that? You have to click them together. They go together. You can theoretically stack and balance Lego bricks without doing that and create an impressive wall, let's say, theoretically. I can't, I'm not steady enough. But unless you push down and lock them together, then they will come crashing down. They're not that strong. If I were to create something, I'm not Paul. His metaphor is better than mine. But in membership in the church is kind of like the locking of the bricks together. We fit ourselves together. God aligns us to himself and to each other to accomplish his plan in his community. And it's our commitment to one another that God uses to grow us strong together. Maybe you're visiting with us today. I'm sorry. There's one visiting with us today. uh, And you're a member of another church. That's awesome. I don't want you to feel any pressure on that. However, if if you're not connected um, or invested anywhere, then then talk to someone after church. We'd love to talk to you about um, where it is that God would have you connect, whether that's here or somewhere else. Align your life with God by trusting in Jesus. Align your life with fellow believers Commit to serve God's people and be served by God's people and see what God builds in, around, and through your life, through us, as he builds his temple. Let me pray for us. God, help us to be your people. Help us to be faithfully your people. Help us to be united in you. Help us to be united in each other. Help us to grow strong for your glory in the temple that you are constructing out of us. God, we thank you that you are, would even include us. We're amazed that you would even include us. God, may you be praised with what you're creating. We give ourselves to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.